0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. In 1977, a movie came out, which was the year I was born, which either the, most of you will say that's I'm old now. There's a, there's a few of you who would say you're a young little guy. Um, in 1977, a movie came out called Oh God, starring George Burns, who uh, was not kind of an old, Guy at the time, he ended up... uh, The actor George Burns made it past 100 in real life. Um, So maybe the movie helped him in some sort. He played God in the movie. And it was interesting for me as a kid to watch it, just to say, here's a take on God. This might be what God could be like in conversation. And it was, I think, a more normal take on God. George Burns has a quote because um, he cared about church and he cared about preaching, I guess. He said the secret to a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending and to have those two as close together as possible. <laughs> so, there's another uh, little bitty joke that said a Sunday school teacher asked the children just before she dismissed them uh, to go to church, why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And Annie replied, because people are sleeping. It gets at the question, why do we do this? Why would we we give up a beautiful Sunday morning, especially in the summer in Wisconsin? Why would we take time out of our weekend to go to a place to sing songs, to listen to a message or a speech or like however you look at that? Why would we carve that time out and sacrifice that time? Why would we carve time out of our week to meet with people in each other's houses and invite people over uh, for dinner or to hang out together, to be intentional in building relationships together. Why would we sacrifice our time to, to volunteer or to try and serve our community? What, what in the world would make us do that? We started a, a mini-series last week after we finished uh, walking 21 weeks through the book of Colossians. Last week we started a mini-series on who we are and what we do. And we're calling it Gospel Over Everything And the idea was the gospel shapes everything about who we are, everything that we do. It isn't just a side kind of important pillar, and then these other things are separate. Everything that we do should come out of what we believe the gospel is. And then from that and in that comes out worship and discipleship and mission. We're going to talk about worship Specifically this morning, last week, we said when it comes to the gospel, we don't, need, we don't feel like we need to create an answer. We don't feel like we need to get real creative and like have this really exquisite explanation of what the gospel is. The gospel, very simply in four words, is Jesus Christ is Lord. Our response to that, our response to that uh, changes who we are. We can either reject that or we can say, yes, I believe that. And then if we say we believe it, our life should look different because of it. This morning we're going to talk about worship. If we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord as individuals and as a community, that we declare that if we really embody that, worship should come out of that. Worship should be a response to the gospel and we should live lives of it and we give time on a Sunday morning to come together to worship. And we do it throughout the week. We're going to take a look uh, this morning at Jesus, uh, at a time where uh, right at the beginning of his ministry, if you're interested, if you have a Bible, you're going to find it in Luke 4. Um, Jesus is just beginning his ministry. Luke 2 tells about his birth um, and everything that happened around that. And then he's baptized by John. John is... John the Baptist has been kind of sent by God to like, prepare the way. There is somebody coming that has been talked about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years who would rescue God's people who are in trouble. Somebody's coming, John says. And John sees Jesus and he says, that's the one. That's the one who's coming. This is the one we've been waiting for. You need to keep your eyes on him. I actually need to step back out of the picture so that you can focus on Jesus. John baptizes Jesus and is is this picture of Jesus entering into ministry. And as he begins his ministry, his first thing isn't to stand up uh, in the temple. His first thing isn't to go on a, a healing mission. His first thing actually is to go out into the wilderness. To go out into the desert and be by himself. And in the desert, Satan comes and tempts him. It says, Jesus fasts for 40 days. For 40 days, he has nothing probably but liquid. And at the end of 40 days, when he's physically weak, but I think spiritually really in tune, Satan comes to tempt him. And then there's there's three different temptations that are recorded. We're going to read those this morning and then talk about specifically the second one. So this is uh, Luke 4, starting right there in verse 1. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. The Jordan was the river where he was baptized. And he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. So from the beginning, we've got in this first section, two references to the Spirit. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, and he's led by the Holy Spirit this whole time, which says what's about to happen is not an accident. What's about to happen isn't Jesus being in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is exactly... This is exactly what was intended as Jesus starts his ministry. He was led uh, led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him, All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him him only shall you serve. And he took him to, to, to Jerusalem, And set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in there. Father, we thank you that you are a God who does not want to stay hidden, that you, God, reveal yourself to us, that you show yourself to us, that you show us um, how Jesus began his ministry and what was at the very core of who he is and what he was doing. We pray that you would help us to hear you this morning. Open us up. I pray that you'd humble us. I pray that you'd embolden us in you, that we could hear from you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So these three temptations that Satan brings to Jesus, the first one he's saying, look, you're real hungry, dude. Take these stones and turn them into bread. Your physical hunger, your physical needs will be met. And Jesus quotes Old Testament scripture every one of these times. And he says, Nope, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the temptation here that Satan is talking about really is strength. And even beyond the strength, independence. That I could be strong by myself. That I could provide for all of my needs. And Jesus could do that. But instead of providing for all of his needs, instead of short-circuiting it or short-cutting it, Jesus says, that is not my primary need. My primary need right now is to be with the Father, to be with the Father, to be in the Spirit, and I'm not going to live. I'm not not going to shortcut this and just cook up some bread out of the rocks. I I refuse to satisfy myself by myself, Right? Jesus had a powerful community as one of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm not going to lean out of this community and do this by myself. And we we are susceptible to that today. Especially, I think, in the West, especially in America, we pride ourselves on a rugged individualism that says, I can do it. And even if we can, that's, that's not the intent. God created us for community, and he created us for an interdependence that we would need from each other and need from him. And when we fool ourselves thinking we can get all of our needs bet just by our own effort, we are falling into a lie that will destroy us. The third temptation, we're going to skip over number two right now. The third temptation is he takes him to the top of the temple. is a few hundred feet to the bottom, and he says, jump, man. Like, you're so important, God certainly won't let you get hurt. You jump and all the angels will come flying lest you stub your toe, right? And Jesus responds, don't put God to the test. I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm just being stupid. Where I say, God, please just come and take care of my stupidity. And that, is, that is not the relationship I want with God. Now... Does God take care of us in our stupidity? <laughs> All the time, right? <laughs> but that doesn't give us permission to say, let me go be stupid because I know God has my back. That's, that's not right. That puts us in the seat of power instead of God, right? You have my back. I know that I've got a really powerful ally. I'm going to live however I want. You'll protect me, right? And that's That's a really tricky place to be in. That's going to get you hurt as well. The second temptation is this invitation to worship. Satan kind of shows Jesus the world. He says, Look at all the kingdoms. Look at all the stuff. I will give you all the authority. I will give you all the power. I will give you all the glory if you worship me. And that's appealing. I want a name for myself. I want people to know me. I want people to respect me. I want people to think he's doing a good job. And Satan offers him that. But there's a couple things going on here. One, Jesus would eventually get all that, right? Jesus, by coming off of his throne on heaven, lowering himself, it says in Philippians 2, humbling himself even to the point of death, then, then God gave him a name above all names, the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow, right? Jesus gets the authority after walking through this life without sin, after dying without sin, after rising and conquering sin and death. He gets the power. He gets the authority. The temptation here that Satan is offering him, you get to do it without struggle. You get to do it without pain, You can have all of this and comfort, too. And Jesus says, there's something going on that is not right. This is a shortcutting of what needs to happen. Because Jesus knew it wasn't all about him. Jesus was on a mission, a rescue mission, that included us. And if he had settled for all of the power without any of the sacrifice, we wouldn't be here this morning. We wouldn't be in a community. We wouldn't be welcome in his presence. He would still have the glory. He would still have the power. But we wouldn't be a part of that. And Jesus said, I don't want that. It's interesting, too, that the devil is a liar. And when the devil says, I'll give you all of this, it's actually an empty promise. The devil makes things look really good so that we get enticed. And then he doesn't deliver. And then he doesn't give us what he promised. Things can seem really good in the short uh, term. but, But they never, they never hold up to the promise. The devil is a liar. The devil is a deceiver. And even in the face of Jesus, he's lying to him. I can give you all this. No, you can't. No, you can't. And it's never that easy. It comes with a cost. It comes with a sacrifice. Jesus says, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now Jesus again says, it's not just about me, it's about all of God. The Trinity. I worship the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is part of it. He says, I'm not in my human life, I'm not going to give reverence and, and look for the glory just in myself. That's not what I'm going to go and take. And Jesus, when he does this, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, which uh, in Jesus' day was one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, in verse 4, it starts what they called the Shema, which was uh, on every one of their doorposts. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then a, little, a few verses after that, it's these verses that Jesus quotes when he says, fear God only. Fear God only. So in the New Testament, Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he's quoting a passage and he's not getting it wrong but he's showing us the depth of what it says in Deuteronomy 6 when it says fear the Lord your God and serve him only fear and worship are connected fear not of some like cosmic tyrant that you don't, is so unpredictable you don't know what's going to happen and you need to live just cowering and you lose yourself in the process and you become less of a person in the process you become more of a worm or a bug right fear that Jesus is talking about is a holy reverence, a respect, and an awe. And he says, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. That says, I will not serve anybody else in front of God. Nothing gets in the way between me and God. What do you worship? The temptation wasn't just for Jesus. The temptation is still alive and active Today. If you are being tempted, you are normal. If you are being tempted, that doesn't mean you're failing. Oftentimes, actually, I think it might mean you're getting something right. Because if you just, if you're not paying attention to God, if you're doing your own thing and you don't feel anything about it, I think the devil might look at you and say, my work is done. I don't need to spend any more energy here. But if your heart starts to get tuned to the song of Jesus, if your life starts to look more like his, if you start living, following him and with him, I think the devil raises his radar on you and says, whoa, that, that I care about. I want to shut that down. And when he brings temptation your way, you could in some sort of, don't get messed up in this, but you could almost look at it like a badge of honor. Say, wow, you find me worthy of temptation? Have at it, because I've got one who's stronger than you. I don't have to submit to that anymore. And you keep, you keep walking with Jesus. The temptation that Satan has here is, what do you worship? It's a power grab. What do you aim for? What do you go after? What are your goals in life? What do you, what do you bend your calendar around? What do you really, really, really desire? What are your goals and it's the word for it is idolatry to set something up on an altar to set something up to be worshipped that doesn't doesn't belong there. could be a good thing, but it doesn't belong in a place of worship and all all kinds of things can become idols. work can become an idol that like you would you climb up the corporate ladder, that that becomes the goal of your life. That becomes an idol. That becomes something you worship. Status can become an idol. Status can be what people think of me can be what I worship. And then the only thing that matters is what people think. And, and if people think I'm doing a good job, then I must be doing a good job. If people think I'm doing a good job, then I must be really great. And if people think I'm doing a bad job, then I feel really bad about myself. Because I'm worshipping my status. I'm worshipping I'm, I'm worshiping who I think I should be. We worship stuff. Like stuff becomes the stuff we chase after. If I could only have this, then I'd be happy. If I could only have this and this and this and this and this. And that stuff isn't necessarily bad. A lot of times God loves to just bless us and say, I would love you to enjoy this. But when this becomes what we're chasing after, when this becomes the goal, then it actually actually pulls life away from us. We start to worship that. Comfort and ease can become something we worship. Family can become something we worship. Now we're called to take care of our family. We're called to love our family. We're called to be with our family. But if we put family up in front of God, that's, that's putting them in a place where they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. And Jesus said, like, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Don't put anything in that place. If you want a very simple definition of worship, I tested this out this week. To worship is to bow. To worship is to bow. And you see this, you see this throughout the pages of the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament has this world called shakach. And it literally means to bow, to prostrate oneself, to lie on your face in front of something, to fall down flat. And it shows up. It gets translated into English, worship, a lot of the times. It shows up, like with Abraham and Isaac, when he's taking Isaac to the mountain to sacrifice him to God, which God eventually says, don't do it. But he's saying, you guys stay here to his servants. My son and I will go and we will worship we will bow before God and then we'll come back to you. It shows up in Deuteronomy 8 where God says, if you shakah other gods, you will surely perish. If you bow to other gods, you will surely perish. If you worship other gods, they cannot deliver life. All they can deliver is emptiness and you will lose your life in worshiping them, you see this idea of bowing, of worship in Shadrach, Meshach, uh, and Abednego in Daniel. These three young men who are told to bow before the king, this in- incredible statue of the king, and if you don't bow, you go into the furnace. And they stand up and say, We won't bow to anybody but God. We worship the Lord our God and we serve Him only and we will not bow. We will not bow. And they go into the furnace. And this is an example of not being stupid. This is an example of worshiping only God, and he protects them. And they make it out of the furnace alive. And it's incredible. It's amazing. It's awe-inducing when they say, we will worship only God. In the New Testament, worship shows up in this word uh, proscuneo proskuneo is this Greek word to fall on your knees and touch the ground with reverence, like to touch your forehead to the ground, to kneel or to prostrate yourself, to lie flat on the ground or to kiss as if to lower yourself to kiss the king's ring. Right? That's the idea, to lower yourself. And it, was, it showed up in Jesus' day with the gospel of the world that Caesar is Lord, Right? Caesar would get the throne or a new, a new king was born and they would say, had you heard the gospel, Caesar is Lord. And you had a chance to respond to that by bowing. You would worship. proscuneo. You would lower yourself before the king. And Jesus says, don't worship Caesar. We worship the Lord and we serve him only. And we don't bow before Caesar. The gospel is... The gospel changes everything. Caesar is not Lord. The gospel changes it to Jesus Christ is Lord. We talked about that last week. We talked about how every one of those four words has really, really rich meaning. So Jesus is the man, the human Jesus. He lived and he died. He was real. He's not just a story, a true story a historical person. Jesus lived. The Christ is um, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer, the one who would come from God to rescue his people, to give himself as a ransom for many. And a lot of people thought that the Christ or the Messiah would come in power and in authority and get to the throne on a human level. And Jesus said, You're looking for power and authority in the wrong place. I'm bringing power and authority, but I'm going to bring it in humility. And I'm going to enter power and authority. I'm actually going to be coronated by my death on the cross. That is Jesus' coronation as king, his time on the cross. That's when he becomes worthy, worthy of all worship, when authority becomes him. Jesus, the man, Christ, the one who came to rescue who gave his life as a ransom, is, not was, is. Past, present, and future. Jesus always is, beyond time, beyond us. Jesus Christ is Lord. The one who's worthy of our worship. The one who's worthy for us to bow down to. The one that we would give our life to. And in giving our life to him, he doesn't just put us into a kind of groveling sort of worship where we lose our soul. He inflames our soul. He brings us to life. He breathes life into us in exchange, in exchange for his death. Like he, he trades our death for his. When we worship him, he gives back to us. He didn't need to. He doesn't need to. What he does. And we worship him. Jesus, Jesus wouldn't take the power and authority himself. He sacrificed himself and waited to be given it. He lowered himself. He was killed and he rose from the dead. And he was given the name of power and worship and authority. You see in the New Testament... People recognized him already, even before his death, people recognized him as somebody to be worshipped. They say, something's going on too that, that we need to give reverence to. So right away in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 2 2, the wise men show up, right? And they say, Where is he? Because we want to worship him. And the word is bow. We want to bow before this baby. We want to bow before the king. In Matthew 8, 2, a man with leprosy runs up to Jesus. And you can, you can skip over part of this. He runs up to Jesus and he falls on his knees and he begs Jesus. And you can just see that as a desperate man. But the word, the word that's used there is worship. The word that's used there to fall on your knees is to bow. It's not just desperation, it is bowing and reverence before Jesus. You, you can heal me. You can do it. I know you are the one. I'm going to lower myself. If you can make me clean, I know it. And Jesus says, Jesus answers him, and he says, I will. I will. And he touches the man, which was unheard of, because the man was kicked out of the community because of his disease. And he touches him with leprosy, and he heals him. And then the man is found clean. Jesus is powerful over sickness. He's worthy to be worshipped over that. In Matthew 14, uh, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat, and a storm gets picked up, and he's sleeping. And they get so scared that they wake him, and they say, do something, don't you care? We're going to die here. And Jesus just tells the wind to be quiet. Like, stop. I need to rest a little bit. Please stop. And the wind listens. And the disciples are like, oh, we have not seen that before. We worship now. And it says they bowed in the boat. They bowed and they worshiped Jesus. This word actually shows up in Mark 15 when the soldiers are beating Jesus and they've stripped him, they're beating him and they put the crown of thorns on him and it says they bowed mockingly. They mock worshipped him which is irony because that became his crown. That's the kind of king that he was. He said, I will take the pain and I will take the sacrifice. You can mock me and I will die for you. And they worshipped him, mocking him. And here's one Here's one that I, I think might be a little bit of a stretch, but I'm not sure. I want, you guys to, I want you guys to think about this. In the garden, in John 18, verse 6, Jesus is praying in the garden right before he's arrested, right before he, he goes to this fake trial, and he's beaten, and he's eventually murdered. Jesus is in the garden praying, and the soldiers come up. Uh, following Judas, Jesus meets Judas and he says, friend, do what you need to do. And Jesus, Judas points at Jesus and says, that's, that's the one I was telling you about. Jesus says, he asks the soldiers, who are you looking for? I say, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm him. I am. And they fall over. Like they get pushed to the ground. So I don't think it's an accident. I think, I think, actually, the soldiers, without intending it, are worshiping Jesus. They're bowing. They're getting knocked over. They're, they're falling on their back simply because Jesus says, I am. And if you look to the Old Testament, when Moses is being sent by God, they say, I want you to free my people from Egypt. And he says, who should I say sent me? God says, I am. I am. I'm always present. I am. You tell them I am sent you. The God who exists beyond time. And they soldiers show up in the garden and say, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, I am. And they fall over. And I think it's involuntary worship, which I love. I just love the picture. They're not even trying to they're not even intending to they may not even want to but jesus has a power that they cannot stand in front of and they fall you see thomas after jesus is killed after he rises and jesus shows him uh, the holes and thomas worships my lord my god that's not that's not saying uh, my buddy my friend he's worshiping there People fall over in front of Jesus, and they worship. Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we respond and we say, yes, I believe that. Yes, I affirm that. Yes, I want to proclaim that. Something happens in us, and we find ourselves in the place of worship. We worship. Why do we worship God? We worship him for who he is and for what he does, for his character and for his action. Not just because he's good to us, but because he's worthy. And not just because he's worthy, but he's also good to us. And we can worship. We we get to worship and be in relationship with him. This passage that Noah read this morning in 1 Chronicles, I just love it. 1 Chronicles 16, starting in 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. That's us. That's every person on the planet. And that's even, he even starts calling out nature. Sing God's song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory Do His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of the holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Yes, the earth is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Like God is worthy of worship. His character is beyond anything. They use the prefix, smart theologians uh, through time have used this prefix, omni, which means all, to start to describe different character attributes of God. So he's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's all knowing. He's omniscient. And Jesus Jesus is everything. God is worthy. His character is beyond anything. And in his presence, we should bow. But it's not just a secluded God. It's not just a God who stays up in heaven, who's kind of aloof, who created everything, who has set it in motion and then went, all right, we'll just see what happens. He doesn't stand distant. He stands wanting relationship. He stands desiring us. That he desires us. That he has affection for us. And his actions throughout time are consistent with his character. Are consistent with his character. He doesn't have a character apart from his actions. And he doesn't have actions apart from his character. We worship him because of what he does. Past, present, and future. Over and over and over in the Bible it says remember. Remember. God says... uh, To the Hebrews, as he takes them out of Egypt, as he frees them from slavery, he says, when you get to the place where I'm bringing you, don't fail to remember me. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that this isn't about you and how strong you are. This is about what I did for you. You stay in me. You stay connected to me. You don't, don't, don't forget. Remember If you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, you have a past, and you should not forget your past. You should not forget the place where Jesus picked you up, where he met you, where he said, I see where you are, and I love you as you are. You can remember your past without feeling shame anymore. Jesus took the shame. He casts the shame away. You can remember your past without feeling condemnation anymore. But don't forget. Because what happens when we forget is we start to feel like I don't need to worship anything. I'm doing pretty good on my own. I don't need to worship God. I'm doing pretty good all by myself. And when we remember, when we remember our brokenness and we see it in Jesus now as healing, That's that's powerful, and we worship. If you're walking with Jesus right now today, where are you? Where has he placed you? What is he doing in your life? And that doesn't mean that all the pieces are coming together in a place of comfort or peace, like worldly peace. But he's doing things in you. He's not done with you. He loves you. He's crazy about you, but he's not done with you. He continues to move you forward, and he continues to work in you. What is he doing right now, and how would that call you to worship him? And where are you going? What future future does he have in mind for you? We can talk about the end of all things when when he restores all things, and we're part of the things that are being restored, that one day I will stand restored Completely. And one day you will stand completely restored. And one day this world will be completely restored. One day. Complete restoration. And yet even now the restoration has begun. Even now hearts are being healed. People. People and relationships are finding healing. From the brokenness God is healing. And he's doing that. He will continue to do that. Into the future. And we worship. We worship. Know that you are invited. Know that this is not coercion, this is not manipulation, that you are invited into the presence of God. And then at one level, it demands your worship. It demands that you set everything else down. and say, so I won't chase after that anymore. I won't give that my number one anymore. God gets the place of glory. God gets the place of honor in my life. God is what I chase after, and God is what I, who I bow down to. The invitation is for everybody, is for all, but the invitation is for your all. Come with everything you have. How do we worship? We worship by proclaiming him, by calling him out, by opening up the Bible and saying, this is who God is, and we bow before him. We worship in song, where we join, we join together, and we join with believers throughout the centuries who join in singing praise to God, singing songs of praise to God. We sing, we proclaim his name, we sing together, and we pray We don't pray vending machine kind of prayers. Like, the only time we pray is asking God to give us things. That's the only kind of prayer. That's a good kind of prayer. God invites that kind of prayer. But that's not where our prayer begins. Our prayer begins and is centered in worship. Our prayer begins and is centered in the fact that Jesus, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are worthy worthy to have our number one place. They're worthy to reorient our lives, to redirect our lives, and that he, he would get that first place. We pray. We give our lives constantly to him. We, pro- we proclaim, we sing, and we pray. There are actions involved with this. It's not just an emotional alignment, right? Right? you You will feel things sometimes when you worship, but that's not that's not the litmus test the litmus test is, like it's not for me that I feel that's not how I know that i'm worshiping because I feel I worship because i'm giving my all feelings come and go feelings come and go It's also a lifestyle that I would give I would do these things i would I would uh, come together to sing. I would proclaim and be taught and teach others. And I would pray with others and worship God in prayer. But I, I would do these things, but I also kind of do this in a lifestyle. Romans 12.1 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Like I continually bow down. I continually give my life in every aspect of my life. If there's something that is getting set up or propped up, Between me and God, I look to remove those things. We worship. And there is just a little bit of a warning, lest we come kind of half-hearted. In the Old Testament, uh, minor prophet Malachi, God has a harsh word for his people. And he says, like, I'm your father, but you don't treat me with any kind of respect. I'm your God, but you don't worship me. And people are like, wow, we're doing all this stuff for you. We're like, we worship. And God basically says to them, I would rather you close your doors than keep worshiping the way you are. I would rather you shut this thing down than come half-hearted. I am not interested, God says, in half-hearted worship. That really is not worship at all. I like God, is very different than I worship God, right? Let's not be on the side that simply says, I like God. Let's align ourselves to him. Let's reorient our lives to him. They say so we will be individuals, and we will be a community. We will be a people who bow, who worship. With every part of our life, we want to worship before God. When people get married, uh, the, the vow says, you know, I forsake all others, right? And that's how we want to come to God. Like, you may come to Jesus to help you, and he will. You may come to Jesus to heal you, and he does. You may come to Jesus and ask him to give your life a purpose, and life will never be more meaningful You may come to him for wisdom and he gives it generously, but do not come to him without worshiping him. Do not come without worship. Do not come without bowing. Do not come without reverence. Jesus Christ is Lord and we worship him. We're going to move into a time of communion and a time of worship. We say, I see God who you are. Jesus, I see what you did. I see the sacrifice. And I know it was for me. And that calls out my worship. And um, when the music starts after we pray, you can feel free to come up and grab a piece of cracker and uh, grab a little cup of grape juice. And the cracker is this representation with Jesus was having his last meal with his disciples when he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he says, this is my body. This is broken for you. And in that we see his sacrifice. And then he held up the cup and he said, this, this is the new covenant. This is the blood that I'm spilling and the life that will run through you. And I want you to take it and I want you to eat it and I want you to drink it knowing, knowing what I did and knowing what I'm doing. And we worship. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We bow before you and we give our lives to you. Jesus, that you would be a God worthy of being praised, but also also one who humbles himself, not as a tyrant, but as one who gives and gives everything. May we see you. May we affirm and proclaim, Jesus Christ, that you are Lord. And may we respond in worship. Amen.